0: Welcome to the Tim Castle Live Show, where we meet courageous people doing inspirational things around the world. Today i met with Steve Siebold. It's not every day that you get to meet one of your heroes, one of your mentors, someone that's changed your life and impacted it. And I was so lucky to be able to ask him questions that I had a burning desire to ask, but also to spend over an hour with, with a guy that has impacted so many lives that has has had a journey, had a story where he's gone out into the world and he's become in the top 1% speakers worldwide, where he's trained Fortune 500, Fortune 100 companies to really make an impact, to drive their revenue sky high, but to also create leaders within their own organizations. And so this conversation touched me in a way that hasn't been touched before. Steve breaks down how to make money how to think wealthy and how to become an entrepreneur through his own experiences. And, and what I could see was it just overflows, right? He, he's got and had this adventure with life, this fun with making money, this fun with, with building businesses and going out into the world. And he really shows you step by step, just in this, if you take the things from this interview, and you put them into practice. If you go out there, if you read his material, he will get you all the way to the top. topic. He, he's done it himself, right? He's had to face challenges. And so he's had his mental toughness university. And we go into detail about the entrepreneurial journey and how, if you're struggling right now, what you can do to go out there and to change these philosophies that you might have around money, around being rich, around the rich people themselves, around what it means to have wealth, And and so we can start to move away from these these actions that we're taking, but also these beliefs we have, because it really is an internal job. Everything you need is inside. And so very, very lucky to be able to spend some time with Steve Siebold. I know that this episode is going to impact you. I know that it's gonna change your life. Really dig deep, think about the words that he's saying, the way he's saying it, the language he uses, not just what he's saying. When you're writing notes, write the specific language The way he talks about money, the way he talks about his career, the way he talks about opportunities, you see the optimism, the positivity flowing through. That's what you need to take hold of. And you need to bring it into those situations in your own life where things maybe aren't going so well, where you are in the unknown, where you do have uncertainty, because this is what the great ones do. This is how you strive to greatness. Let's go. Hey, Steve, how's it going?
1: Good. How are you doing?
0: Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad at all. Thank you so much. Thanks so much. It's so good to see you. Yeah, good to see you. Welcome to the show. You've had an amazing impact on my life. I mean, when I first found self-help and I came into self-help, after Think and Grow Rich, 177 Mental Toughness Secrets of the World Class was was one of the books I found next. And it it really, really helped me just gain confidence. But you as an individual, you're mentor from afar to me you've you've kind of come into my life on my journey many many years ago and it is just phenomenal I'm I'm internally grateful for you to come on this show and to talk to my audience and to share some of the wisdom that I I just know is pouring out of you in your books anyone that hasn't got your books already should go and to Amazon and to buy all of your books because they do speak so much value but thank you. Oh,
1: thanks, Tim. I appreciate it. I appreciate the invite to be on the show too. Thanks for the kind words.
0: Let's start with with um how rich people think. Now that was a book that I found after the first one, obviously. But when we think about middle class, you say in the book that they believe money is complicated and world class believe that money is is simple. Can you dive into that a little bit? Because I really felt that when you almost have this reaction to money and as a middle class thinker, rather than of what I have now, which is this, this this love and this abundant mindset.
1: Yeah, I think it's something that most of us are raised with. That money is this complicated thing that you know we just it's beyond our understanding. And if we if we want to really attain a lot of money, uh, then you know we're we're greedy. And uh, we're we're you know we're bad people and we're narcissists and all these things that people associate with wealthy people and the and, and rich people and all that kind of thing, and so we're we're sort of you know we're sort of uh, we're sort of discouraged from you know really attaining any amount of money or, or, or growing our wealth or, or even having the ambition to become financially independent. We're it's we're, it's it's looked down upon in a lot of places for a lot of people, and uh, and so we we develop this negative. Unhealthy relationship with wealth building, and as a result, even in the richest countries in the world, you know most people are struggling with money, and, and I think a lot of it really begins with the way that they think about it.
0: hmm Okay, yeah, so it's, it's this perception we have of money and I guess, ideas around how money is generated as well, like where, where it comes from. Like it's it has to come from deception. It has to come from trickery. It has to come from and and I guess that's when the switch happened for me was when I started digging into your stuff and I started really like the book is amazing like how rich people think because it, it walks you through very practically and I love love even in the first few chapters where you just outline this is this is how someone who's got a middle class mindset thinks that, that kind of level of consciousness. This is kind of how a world class thinker has and you also point out that you're not kind of discrediting the average person like that that's fine if you want to do that but you're just going to show them what it would take to get to to world class so in that in that same vein then what is the difference between linear consciousness and non linear consciousness
1: well in the context of money i think i think the linear consciousness is is more about well if i get a job earning so much money then in linear fashion you know i'll earn so much in a year if i make so much an hour in a week in a month And then over a course of years, I might get you sort of thinking as money as a progressive type of uh, earning money as a progressive type of uh, equation, whereas the wealthy really think about it in nonlinear terms, because you can literally go from making an average income to an extraordinary income in a relatively short period of time if you find a problem in a free market, at least, when you find a problem and you solve it. And, And like I say in the book, the bigger problem you solve, the richer you get. And it's really hard to argue with that. But I think we're not really taught that. I mean, I I didn't learn that. I learned that by interviewing, you know, self-made millionaires for since 1984. So I guess that's 37 years, believe it or not. And that's what they taught me. They said, "Look, if you want to be wealthy in a free market economy, you have the chance to do that. Solve a problem. Find a problem that you have the ability to solve, or partially solve if it's a really big problem, and uh, that you have passion for, and you have interest in, and you have a skill set that surrounds that problem." And solve it. And the bigger problem you solve, the, the wealthier you become. It's really that simple. But I think it it requires nonlinear thinking because what we were just talking about, Tim, that that we're not taught these things. We're taught to go get a job and, and be happy with that. And and again, like you said, there's nothing wrong with that. It's just that you're gonna probably struggle with money as a result uh, you know of the, of that uh, of that course of, of action in your in your in your life.
0: And that was a the theme that that obviously over the last 37 years when you're talking to these. Very well done, self-made millionaires. These people that have have, have, have acquired a lot of wealth. Uh, that was the theme that stood out. Then that's that. How does someone then, knowing that, knowing that they've got to go out there and take take a big idea and the bigger idea that you solve the bigger solution you put out into the world, the more, the more value that you add into the world, the more money you get. How does someone who is is caught up in their family, their friends, it, almost the system they're in? is telling them to go a different direction. It, everything is primed for them to just take that next step to trade time for money to trade kind of that linear process. It's all there. How does someone take what you said and plant that seed?
1: Yeah, that's the million dollar question for sure. I mean, I, it's it's hard it's hard for a lot of people because they are discouraged from sort of going out there and staking their own claim, if you will because it's safer just to go get a regular job and sort of follow the, the proven path. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like when, when, when I grew up, it was like you, what you did was in, in our area in Chicago uh, mm-hmm. was you, you, you know, you went to school, hopefully you went to college, you got married, you had kids, you got a job and, you know, and that, and then you just pursued that path, which is fine. And, but that way, it was almost like there was no choice. I mean, that's what you did. And, if You came out and said, Well, I'm gonna start a business, people said, Whoa, wait a second, How that's for rich people. I mean, we you know, you don't have that kind of luxury to do that. You know how risky that is, you know how much that could cost you everything, and you're really discouraged from doing it because you know they say, Oh, well, most businesses fail. Well, that's absolutely true, that's why you start another one. And if it fails, you start another one. <laughs> and that's what most of us do. We fail our way to success. You know, and then you hit one home run and everyone thinks you're a genius. But the truth is you've been failing the whole time along the path to, to success. But no one remembers when the failures after if you hit one big home run or have one big success and people don't tend to remember all the times you failed. But, yeah, I think it's I think it's difficult, Tim. I think it really is for for most people because. You know, again, the programming, the family around the friends, so they're trying to protect you from these great, great failures. And the worst thing you can do probably is try to protect someone from a failure because that's where you learn. And that's how we learn as entrepreneurs. We learn on the street. You know, this is what we do. We, we, we go out there and we, we're a little bit crazy, maybe in, in, compared to most people in the context of we didn't take the safe path. So we fail our way to success. And then finally, you know, finally, eventually, if we hang in long enough, we typically succeed because we failed so much, so many times. We got the education that you need as an entrepreneur, you know, to, to succeed.
0: That's amazing. Yeah, that that really speaks volumes, especially because a lot of the audience are entrepreneurs starting out. They're probably facing, they're going against the grain anyway. They're stepping out. And, and the fact that you've got to persist and it's not just what's seen on Instagram, what's seen on social media, what's seen in in, like you said, a one hit wonder, a flash in the pan, like things that just, it seems as if it just happened. But you, you don't necessarily see all of those efforts, all of that time that's been put in, all of those failures. So yeah, I think I think the way you just explained that is, is it is it is you've answered the million dollar question by saying it it's around how you change your thinking, firstly, but then the actions that you take consistently over time to to go back to it and to keep going back to the drawing board, to keep solving that problem, to keep pushing forward. So I think I think as well. With COVID-19, I'm not sure how the people that you've been meeting have been facing it. But when you talk to, to clients, when you talk to friends, when you talk to colleagues, people are a bit anxious, especially around if they maybe made quite a bit of money uh, in 2020. I don't, I don't know, but things have been up and down. There's volatility. What is this thing around the middle class thinking around? They get a financial windfall. They're scared of losing it. But a world class thinker, what would they do in that scenario?
1: Well, I think I think COVID probably with all the people I've been talking to in, in the last you know year since all this craziness has started with COVID and we've all been going through the shutdown and all that um, the the wealthy class I mean the, the people I think that they're, they're the abundance based thinkers um, are mm-hmm. more conservative with their money I think than they were before because it we didn't, you know I don't think anyone realized could see there was a worldwide shutdown coming so as mm-hmm. you said some people really benefited from it because they were in the right business for a shutdown. And other people really, you know, were destroyed by it or lost a lot of money, that type of thing. But I think just the the level of uncertainty you know, was a level that none of us have ever faced before. Where, okay, if I told you I called you, I got on your show, Tim, and I said, Tim, in six months the whole world's going to shut down, you'd say this guy's <laughs> out of his mind, right? I mean, that's crazy. But that's what happened. So I think they're they're seeing it for the opportunity that that it, as terrible as it was, the COVID piece of it. But I mean, beyond in terms of in content in the context of business as it relates to COVID, I think they're seeing it for an opportunity that we, we sort of reset everything there. There's a different mentality, I think almost, you know, with people around the, around the world about what's important. Maybe we have learned a lot of lessons with this. We learned things can go, you know, South pretty quickly from something you can't control. So I, but I think they're looking at for opportunity as they always do. They're looking to take their money and their skill set and their passion and all that and say, okay, now that it's a brand new world of some level, uh, How do we how do we how do we solve more problems for people? Are there new problems to solve or do we just solve those problems in a new way? Uh, But there's all kinds of opportunities. They're always looking at everything through the eyes of opportunity. And um, and typically the funniest thing about it or the strangest, most ironic thing maybe about it is, is that they typically don't do it for the money once they have enough. They do it because they want to do it. And that's what makes them dangerous as entrepreneurs in terms of dangerous in a good way. Because they're not, they're doing it because they're passionate about it. They want to help people solve problems because once, once you have enough money, you know, then you don't think about the money as much. You just think more about what do I want to do every day and what's fulfilling to me as a, as a person, as a human being, you know, and that's when it gets fun.
0: Mm. When you, when you can almost get out of the rat race, when you've got my money, isn't a problem. Then you can spend your time going after what's really passionate, but actually, is it the case that you should then move before you've got the money to the passion?
1: Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. No question about that. You the, you've hit the the golden uh, the, the golden lesson right there. Yeah, yeah. If you can hit the start with the passion, you know. There's all this talk about years ago, and I don't know if you remember this or not. But there was a book written called uh, "Do What You Love, the Money Will Follow." Became kind of famous, at least in the mm-hmm. states. And, uh, and the premise was just what it said. You know, you just follow your passion. A lot of people said, well, you know, that's, that's true, but uh, that's a good idea. But it's a little naive because if you follow your passion, a lot of things don't pay off. Well, there might be some validity to that. But at the same time, if you're not following your passion, it's pretty hard to get wealthy unless you're just a, a, you're some kind of a mathematical genius with money, as some people are you know, small or you're, you have some kind of other, you know, you're a great athlete or an actor or some, you know, outstanding you know mm-hmm. performer in some other way. If you're a normal person, you're probably only going to get wealthy doing something you really love to do and you do it whether you get paid for it or not. And I think that and I it may sound naive to some people, but, you know, being in business for over 30 years, building businesses in 10 countries around the world, you know, um, I look, I'm just a small entrepreneur, but I learned a lot about about when you get in the thick of a business where you know it's all fun and games when you're making money but when you're in the thick of it and you're trying to build it if you don't love it it's hell on earth i mean and if you do love it well then it's uh, it's tolerable no matter what, how bad it gets and if you have that you know you become you become pretty formidable as a as a performer as a business person so i would start as you said i would start with the love and the passion of it for sure
0: Nice. No, so that that's when you become dangerous when you're when you're willing to go all in you go all in on something that you're passionate about, and because yeah. that that means you're able to face those challenges, even as tough as they are, you keep going. And it's the ability to keep going that then eventually gets you to to solve that problem. I think that's it, right? So, say you're someone that's you you are going to work every day. You, you're you're changing time for money. You've heard this conversation. You want to then kind of branch out. You've got an idea, but you it's that it. That piece. What would you advise to that person? That then they have an idea, they're they've got bills to pay, they've got a family, that they've got commitments, responsibilities, and that like you couldn't just give it all up. You know, in in their head, they couldn't just switch and then go and you know have a year where they try to build that business. What would you say to someone in that capacity?
1: Yeah, I would start out by saying, know that you can do it. If you have a viable idea you know, where you're solving a problem, you can do it. Don't don't feel like I mean, if you're if you're thinking about this, and every entrepreneur goes through this is when you're a young entrepreneur, or let's say a new entrepreneur, um, young or old, I think everyone goes through the same stage where you're you're, you know, maybe you've got a job, you got kids, and you're busy, and you're thinking, how am I going to pull this off? I don't have enough money. I don't have enough education. Everyone's telling me I'm crazy. Welcome to the club. Every other entrepreneur <laughs> in the world pretty much has heard that, you know, so you're in real good company of some of some really wealthy people. Uh, and pretty much every entrepreneur that's ever succeeded at any level has heard that from people and thought that to themselves. Whether well, you wake up at three in the morning, you're driving to your job and you're thinking, I, there's no way I can do this. You know, maybe I'm just not smart enough or I don't have enough whatever. Know that you can do it because after interviewing over 1,300 self-made millionaires, these are face-to-face interviews. We didn't have Zoom like this, mm. you know, back in the day. These are face-to-face interviews, and um, and that's a lot over 37 years. I can tell you that some of the people I interviewed, you would know they're famous people. There's probably out of 1,300, or was probably maybe 100, 150 that were pretty pretty famous, and some very famous, and and some really gifted. You know that you would think, wow, these people are just geniuses. That might have been 25 of them. And the rest of them uh, were people just yeah. like us, just yeah. regular people who had jobs, who had kids, who had no money, and they've got this crazy dream and they're waking up at three in the morning going, This is the greatest idea, but everyone's telling me I can't do it. You're in good company. That's what we all thought. And these really big ones thought that too. And they're no different than us, most of them. They're normal, average people that didn't think they could do it sometimes. So no, you can do it. You don't need any more intelligence or education most likely than, than uh that than you need to succeed. You can do it with what you have. Know that right off the bat, because if you don't lock in, if you're not mentally tough enough, I think, to lock in with that, most of the time, you are going to have doubts probably, but that's okay if you have doubts. We all have doubts. But if you're locking you keep taking action, you're probably going to make it. And if you don't make it on this deal, you'll make it on the next one or the next one after that.
0: I love that, Steve. What you just said is going to change lives, literally. I know you, you've been changing lives for years and years and years, but that—that that is the piece. Someone can take that tangibly and and walk out today and hear this conversation. Someone that's listening right now can can go out there and take those next steps just because of what you just said. That—that that is it.
1: Well, yeah. you know how it is, Tim. It's like you know, once you once you make it, once you get to the mountaintop, whatever that is for you as an entrepreneur, you know, then it's easier. Take a deep breath. And and you say, okay, well, now I've gotten to wherever I wanted to go, whatever, whatever that is. And then it's different. Then when then when you look in the mirror at three in the morning and you have a new idea, you think, I've done this before, I can do it again. It's a lot easier after you hit the after you've gotten one big success. You know, but before that big success, you can feel like a crazy person because everyone's telling you're crazy. And, and you shouldn't mm-hmm. be doing this and you're being, you know, you're being a, a lot of times I hear people will say, and you probably heard this as well. And people say, well, you know, I'm, I'm my wife or my husband's uh, mad at me because I'm not spending enough time with the kids or I'm not. And they guilt, they guilt you into, into this too. And um, and it's something you've got to fight. You just have to. There's just no other way around it. But, you know, know that once you get to that first success, you're going to take a breath of fresh air like you haven't ever breathed before, like you haven't been breathing in, a, in, in you know, five minutes. And all of a sudden you take a fresh a, a breath of fresh air. That's the freshest breath you'll ever take. I mean, I, I believe anyway, because it's all that anxiety, all that doubt, all the people around you that said you couldn't do it possibly all the negative, all the self-doubt, all that stuff, it just, just goes away. It literally just goes away. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a cure. And all of a sudden, you, 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 you look in the mirror and you see someone different. You think, well, maybe I, I can pull this next one off because I pulled the last one off. And you might be right, you might be wrong. But even if you fail the next one, you'll probably succeed after that because you have that confidence now. No one can take it away from you ever again. But getting that first one is the toughest. That's why the first million is the hardest to make. It's about belief more than the actual money.
0: Because you've got to believe before it actually happens and you've got to go. Yeah, through.
1: you got to. You got to see. Yeah. You have to suspend your disbelief. Effectively. You know, you, you've got to just put that out of your mind. And it's not easy. It's easy to say on an interview like this, but it's hard to do. You know, we've all been through it where you're doubting yourself and you're thinking, am I crazy? I mean, can I really do this? I mean, maybe I should just do what everyone's telling me to do and get them off my back. And every entrepreneur, I think, has gone through that. All these interviews. This is what they talk about, Tim, you know, 37 years. They talk about all their failures. That's what they did their doubts and their worries and their concerns and the guilt they felt and the friends they lost and all these different things. And then at the end, you know, you knew they hit the home run because that's why you're interviewing them. But um, but they mostly spent because that's what I get interviewed about all the time in the press. I'll say, well, you know, what are these, what do these rich people talk about? They talk about their failures almost the whole time because that's what they spend most of their time doing before they, you know, hit the hit the big time. And so that's what they, that's really what they value is that fight there's nothing there's nothing like that fight to bring out the best in, in an entrepreneur. You have to go through it, it seems like. I, I'd be afraid almost at this point looking back 30 years. I don't I, I, would, I failed of course so many times in the beginning, like everyone almost does, but I would be afraid if I to look back and think that I succeeded at the first you know three or four businesses because if I would have I wouldn't have had that, that, that strength that you get from failure. You just have to have it to succeed at a higher level.
0: So that's that's where the mentally tough piece comes in. That's where that resilience comes in. It's yeah. being able to stick with your vision through yeah. all, all the stuff you just said, through the guilt, through the through the tough times, through the extra kind of bizarre things that you need to do as an entrepreneur that no one else is doing. Everyone else is sleeping. You're up, you're you're fighting every day for your for your vision, for your goals, for your dreams. With that then, say say you've now moved someone into that and they've, they've experienced a little bit of success. What starts to happen where part of what you talk about is around this consciousness around money, this abundance around money, this also, this, this feeling of money being a game. And I, I've really, I like to talk about this one, but especially with you. I mean, this this conversation is, is a dream come true for me because when I first found your work, I was in a, a studio, didn't even have another room. It wasn't a one-bed studio. It was just a studio, we were a, a young family all in there in a, in a bunch of debt. And we've moved our lives up and up and up. And, and I relate to, to the change when you start to experience a bit of success. Something changes with with how you perceive money, I think. Can you talk a little bit around the the, the idea of, of fun and that that spirit that it has?
1: Yeah, I think it can go one or two ways. That's the way I've seen it over the years. At least in my experience is that it can, if it's if the person didn't fight hard enough, it goes, or they just have a predisposition for for sort of. A, uh, I don't want to say it, like an, or just have an ego problem. It can go to the ego pretty fast. Like all of a sudden, you know, I've succeeded and now I'm thinking, boy, I'm really smart. I'm really something else. Everything I do touches, you know, turns to gold and I'm just the greatest in the world and all that. And that's very dangerous as an entrepreneur because, you know, the world doesn't really care. It just goes on whether you fail or not. And your next venture, they don't care about if you made your last venture or not. They just, you know, they're just doing their thing. And so you go out to the, now all of a sudden you're presenting to the world, this ego based consciousness, and the world just loves to eat up people like that. They don't like big egos. And so it can go that way, but if it goes the right way, which is what you're talking about, um, you know, where all of a sudden, you know, you get some success and then you start to see money as a game and you start to, and I think part of that consciousness is you start to realize that it doesn't really mean anything. You know, it doesn't make you any better of a person because you're rich or, or, or you're not rich. I mean, it, it doesn't make you any smarter really than anybody else. It makes it makes you, you know, understand that you fought really hard and you had a good idea and it worked. And, you know, luckily, things came together and you had some opportunity and you probably had some great mentors. And you should be grateful, of course, you know, right. If you succeed, just because there are people that helped you. And then all of a sudden you start to see it just as a game. You know, how many people can I help? What can I do to, 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 to take this to the next level, maybe help somebody that's struggling, knowing what you went through personally, to, you know to struggle to build your business? maybe you can help someone else out? I, it changes it. Now all of a sudden you're playing for fun instead of playing for survival. It's very different. It's a lot more and it's a lot more fun too, of course, as you can you know you can imagine. so
0: Wow. And, and I guess as well then into that, if, if someone has had a bit of success, they then do take it down the ego route. And they do start, kind of make making bigger moves. They start; it, it's almost bravado. And then someone who is of a not world class mindset sees that as a perception of what money does to people. It then fuels that fire that potentially money is evil. Money is bad. Money creates losers, effectively, um, because that that ego based consciousness isn't going to then be able to see opportunities with the right light. Isn't going to be able to go out there and add value in the same way as the this, this second route that you described where someone's potentially going out there and is able to throw themselves wholeheartedly into causes that they believe in, but also individuals, people, they're able to, to raise the bar. Can you tell that someone's going to go down one of those two routes before they experience success, or would it be the case that you, you can't tell and then suddenly they get success and, and something at that point when they take that breath of fresh air Changes and maybe when do they decide?
1: Yeah, I, I I have not been able to tell. I've I've tried to predict that with people watching people build businesses over the years and thought, you know, I've had several just in the last um this last COVID period where people really jumped out and you know, just their business exploded. And I predicted almost every one, these are like local people to me in Atlanta. And about there are about five of them that I know personally. And I predicted none of them would have the ego thing happen. But it does happen sometimes. It's it's mm. almost like um, it can be like someone it's almost like someone who's never had alcohol before. And all of a sudden they, they just drank 10 shots of tequila and they go from being really smart to really stupid, like in two seconds. It's the craziest darn thing. I mean, it really. And I know I have not been able to predict. I always think I can predict it and I'm usually wrong. Because I, I, I watched these five people and all five of them fell, have fallen into this ego thing. And it's really dangerous because all of a sudden no one wants to be around. You know, it's not it's not a pleasant mindset to really be around. And I think you have to really guard against it because it is it is intoxicating. There's no question. I mean, all of a sudden, you know, if you've ever had that big success, all of a sudden you have more money, you know, what to do with. And you're thinking, wow, if you're not really prepared emotionally and mentally for a windfall or from some for some big success, Then uh, then it can really be intoxicating. And it's very dangerous because now no one wants to deal with you. And all of a sudden, no one wants to partner with you. No one wants to work with you. And you're thinking, what happened? I I, I have all the success. Yeah, but no one can stand to be around you because you're an egomaniac. (laughs) And so, you know, there's there's that. And uh, but the good news is, is that I think that when you it's almost like the the longer you have to fight or the harder you have to fight for the success, the less chance you're going to fall into that ego based consciousness. Because I think the person that succeeds after the big fight again takes that breath of fresh air and thinks, Oh, thank God. Thank God that the, the initial fight's over. Because man, I was I was barely hanging out for a long time. And that's I think where most people really are, because it does take time to learn, you know, the things that, that are required to to build a, a, a even a modest fortune. And but once you get there, well then you know it's much easier, of course. But yeah, it's that ego thing is is I think the the real enemy of uh of success. It can be a real, it can be something that, and the person doesn't even know they're in it when they're in it. They're mm. just, in, it's like the drunk. They don't know they're drunk. I mean, they're, because they're drunk. <laughs> they're not thinking straight until someone whacks them over the head or they'd sleep it off, you know? And that usually happens, but it's usually a very harsh lesson. The world does not appreciate the ego-based consciousness. So it's hard to move up if you have that.
0: Yes. The next, the next million or the next level yeah, exactly. It doesn't, it doesn't come as easy. It does it, the whole the whole thing has been spun on its head. It doesn't work. It, the, the, the equation right. doesn't work. And and I guess gratitude plays a lot into that. And like I know you talk a lot about gratitude, and I've certainly experienced that. Where the more gratitude you have, even even before you feel you get to that level of success or whatever your goal you're aiming at, it's it's being able to approach the universe and 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 things that come into your world with gratitude. When you talk about mental programming and the, the role of truth and facts, what I found really interesting was what you talk about between the conscious and the subconscious mind and how you can ment- use mental programming with f- like facts and the fact that the subconscious, it it, it doesn't know, you know, what, what you're feeding it. You can feed it what you want. Can you expand upon that? Because uh, like, really if someone has got a vision a goal a dream and they're sitting there and they're not go- they are determined not to become an egomaniac they're going to go through the fight they're going to keep going how can they now then mentally program their subconscious mind to actually back them up
1: yeah that's a great question you you know you, you see the power of it like i don't know if you guys are following at all our political climate in the states but it's just it's absolutely it's just insane I mean, they, like the, the level of insanity, I, I never knew it existed in this country. I mean, I, apparently I'm just totally naive because I had no idea. I think a lot of us just missed the, some of the craziness. And a lot of it is just programming. Like all these, all these false things are being programmed to the masses. And, and half of this country is believing it. And it's just hard to believe they can believe it. But And not to get political because that's not the point. But the, the, my point is, is that you can program even millions of people if you've got enough power. Mm-hmm. Uh, in a negative way or a positive way, and they'll believe almost anything. We have people believing things that are so patently false that you could a ten year old wouldn't believe it, and we have millions of people that are believing this stuff because they've been brainwashed to believe it by you know powerful political leaders and that kind of thing. So if it can done, be done in a, on a macro scale, it can certainly be done on a, on a micro or an individual you know scale, negative or, negatively or positively. It, the, the, proof, the proof piece we always use in the seminars over the years is that. If you ever go to a scary movie, like I'm not a big horror movie fan, but but, you know, I've been to a few of them over the years. But you go to a horror movie, you sit in the in the theater back when we were sitting in theaters. And uh, it's scary. And your palms are sweating. You're like, run, run away. He's gonna, he's gonna stab, he's gonna shoot you, you know, and they always want to stand there and wait. And you're like, run, run. And you're literally your hands are sweaty, and you're nervous, and you're kind of uptight. And I think that's why some people like those movies, because, you know, your your conscious mind knows you're in a movie theater, your subconscious mind thinks you're in trouble. It thinks you're in danger. And that's why you're sweating. Why would you sweat at a movie? You know, why would you be nervous at a movie? It's a movie. But your subconscious doesn't know the difference. It thinks it's real. It thinks you're mm-hmm. in danger. Now, your conscious mind, of course, overrides and says, Look, dummy, we're in a movie theater. <laughs> it's a movie. You're going to be fine. Relax. Sit down. Otherwise, you'd run out of the theater. But subconscious, the subconscious mind thinks it's real. And so we sweat and we get nervous and our heart beats fast and all these kind of crazy things when it's just a fantasy. It's just made up. It's a movie. So there's your programming. That's about as good as it gets. So your programming example, it's, po- it's, 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 possible to program your su- your subconscious mind, even in your conscious mind, just by telling yourself over and over, I can do this. You know, I can do this. I, I can make this happen. You know, mm-hmm. um, I can, I can, I can find the mentors. I can, I can find the people I can find the resources I need. I'm going to, you just keep telling yourself that and you'll start to believe it, whether it's true or not, you know, emotional creatures can be, can be programmed very, very simply. And if it's just on an individual level, would we would be our own best programmers? Cause we know what we should want. Um, years ago, I was building a business and I, I had just lost millions of dollars in a deal. And I was, my confidence was kind of down. And I was, I was talking to a friend of mine. He's a speaker named Brian Tracy based in the US. And I'd known Brian for a long time. And I was talking to Brian. He was on my board at the time and uh, my, one of my companies. And I said to Brian, he said, what, what's my, what's your best advice for for me, Brian? And he said, just keep telling yourself, I can do it. I can do it. I would see the image of where you're going with this next business. And keep telling yourself every day, I can do it. I can do it. I can do it. He goes, you know how it works. You're going to start to believe you can do it. And that's what I did for two years. I saw, tell Brian that every time I see him, I said, I, I just program myself to say, I can do it. And I, as simple as it sounds, it works. You start to believe you can do it because you've just brainwashed yourself into believing it. And so because you believe it, you take action toward what it takes to make it. And then it happens. And people, you say this, you tell these stories and people think you're crazy. <laughs> but
0: you know, it's uh, Steve, Yeah. Coming from you, that that's awesome just to hear that, that 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 really happens to you and you really did the things that you're, you're talking about. And this is this is what gets you from A to B. This is what gets you those stories and those things that you want to want to do. But when you talk about champions, then what I've experienced or, or what I've seen happen a lot is people who are hungry for more. They're always pushing. They're always expanding. But then there's people that are saying, well, what isn't enough enough? Why are you always wanting more? You should be happy. You've made it. You've got some stuff going on. You've got a really good life. You You should be happy with what is. What is this piece around dissatisfaction and the fact that like your capacity to earn? If you're not, say you're earning 50K, but you have the potential to earn 500K. This idea that it's your kind of responsibility to go after it. What what's all this this idea around being happily dissatisfied?
1: Yeah, I think happily dissatisfied is is a, is a psychological term, and I, I think it basically just means that you know you're happy where you are, but you're dissatisfied that you're 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 not where you're still dissatisfied in terms of where you want to go. And it's and it's a healthy state of mind because you're happy in your in your current position. You know, whatever that means. Well, you can be broken, be happily dissatisfied. or You can be rich and be happily dissatisfied. It really almost has nothing to do with outer circumstances. It's more of a mindset. And that's why it's been studied by psychologists for years that what, what is it about these people that have almost nothing? You know, people that live in small countries, maybe third world countries. Like I spent some time and had some businesses over the years in Costa Rica. And uh, it's a four hour plane ride from Atlanta. A beautiful place and everything. The people have nothing. I mean, they, they, they eat rice and beans. They have nothing. There's coffee and bananas. That's what Costa Rica sells. And tourists. Tourism is their biggest business. They have nothing. And they're very happy people. They're number one on the happiness index almost every year worldwide. Costa Ricans, um, the, the, the Ticos and the Tikas, as they call themselves. And wow. they're, the, they're just happy people. They have a predisposition almost um, to, for happiness. And I think so you can, you can be happy but be dissatisfied in terms of, you know, where do I want to go next? Like, for example, a different example would be, I want my goal back when the day when I was like 20 years old was to retire when I was 30. That was my goal, to be a millionaire and to retire when I was 30, because I was interviewing all these rich people. And that's what they they threw that out there. I thought, OK, I will give it a shot. You know, I have no idea. I have no money, but I'll give it a shot. What if I got to lose? And I didn't make it. I, I was 31 when when I made my first you know block of money. And I retired when I was 31. I sold my part of my business. And and I bought a place on a, a penthouse uh, apartment on in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, and And uh, that was it. 31 years old. My wife and I retired and we got this money and here we are. And three months later, talk about happily dissatisfied. I'm thinking, you got to be kidding me. It's like, you're in this game, you know, this sport, whatever it is, and you're doing well and you, and you win the big game, whatever it is. And then all of a sudden you're on the sidelines and that's it. It's over. And it's like, wow, okay. I want to get back in the game. It's not about just winning the game. I want to play the game. I don't want to just win the game. It's about playing. It's about being inside of it, you know? And yeah, just struggling and winning some and losing some and having the friends and you know the, the adversaries who make you better, the competition and all the rest of it. I mean that's, that that's a good example of happily dissatisfied as well. You want you're looking to the future, but you're happy with the present.
0: And, and so that begs a, a lot of questions for me. How did you get the time with the the millionaires? How did you get in in front of them? Were you persuading them? How, how did you make that happen?
1: It was total luck. And a lot of, and a lot, I mean, it really was, I just fell into it. It was really lucky. And like a lot of things that people say, well, what luck, what role does luck play in success? Usually every honest self-made millionaire will say, well, if I didn't have this one thing happen, then, then I'm not sure, you know, I'd be where I'm at, whatever. But I was in college. I was a sophomore in college in, in Alabama. And, uh, and I, and I was listening to, I'd grown up with rich kids on the, on the, on the junior tennis circuit, playing kids from all over the world. And I was being groomed to be a professional tennis player. And, um, and so I was not a rich kid. But they, but a lot of these kids really were, and I saw the way they lived. They had tennis courts in their backyard that they trained on, and they came up in limousines. they were like twelve years old, you know. I mean, it was ridiculous, <laughs> but it was, you know, it kind of cool. And you're a kid, and you're thinking, man, I want to someday. I want to live like that. So I kind of got a little obsessed with that lifestyle because I was not living that. I didn't grow up like that. But I just grew up in a middle class neighborhood in Chicago, outside of Chicago. But you see that and think, well, maybe someday. So I kept asking when I was in college, do you know, any millionaires or people thought, what do you, what was this millionaire thing. They thought I was nuts. I said, do you know anyone who has their own business? That's, you know, like really successful. And one guy had an uncle um, that went to my school and he says, you can interview my uncle. I think he'll let you interview him. So I did. And I, and I asked him at the end of the interview, I said, cause it was totally different. What? To, to He was telling me different things completely than what I was learning in college. Mm. And I kind of figured that was going to happen just because I'd just been around these kids and their parents for so long. They all had their own businesses. They were almost all entrepreneurs. And these guys were telling them my college back in the day in the 80s, they were saying, hey, you know, I don't know if they say today, but they were telling us, hey, get a good job, get a good benefits package, work for 40 years, and you can retire to Boca Raton or some other place that's warm in the winter. <laughs> and, uh, and you're good, you're done. And I'm thinking, what if I don't live that long? And I, I spent my whole life, you know, that whole thing. So I so I asked him at the end of the interview, I said, Do you have any do you have any other rich friends that I can interview? And he laughed and he said, All my friends are rich. And I'll <laughs> never forget that. I, he just looked at me and I just I was like, okay, that's cool. I said, Is there any way I could interview them? He goes, Well, what do you what do you want? Because some people always want things from rich people. That's why they like to be invisible for the most part. They don't want you to know they're rich. They want you to think they're not rich. And except for some people with big egos, that's the other side of it. But most of them are not like that that I've met. And, uh, and he said, "What do you want from them? What are you trying to get?" And I said, "I'm not trying to get anything. I'm just a college student. I, you know, I just want to learn how they think because I think there's I'm missing something with my college education. They're not telling me this in business school or any other classes that I have." As a matter of yeah. fact, I went to my psychology professor, uh, the the dean of the psychology school at my college, and I said, "I think I'd like to be a psychologist because I was always interested in that in that field." And he says, "He says don't. This is what he told me. He says don't do it." And I said, "This is the dean of the school of the <laughs> psychology department." Tell me not to do it because I had his class and I, and I met with him after, after class and he said, don't do it. And I said, why? And he goes, you'll never, this was exactly what he said. Word for word, Tim. He said, you'll never get fat being a psychologist. He goes, do start a business, you know, do, do something else. And I thought to myself, you know, that's gotta be one of the worst pieces of advice I ever got. Cause that's something I would, that was like the one thing I was interested in. And I thought maybe I could make a business out of it or something like that. But anyway, so the guy connected me with a, with another, one of his millionaire friends, and then he connected me with another. And then I just went from referral to referral to referral. And literally 37 years later, I'm still in those circles. And because I've never asked them for anything. I never borrowed money for never asked them for anything. I don't go to the press and talk about them unless they give me permission. Mm-hmm. Um, I I'm very low-key and they've allowed me to stay in the because some of these people are some of the wealthiest people in the world now. It's it's mm-hmm. grown up over the years, you know. And so so I'm kind of a trusted um person in that, or I hope so anyway, in that group, they trust me not to publicize things unless they give me permission and uh, that kind of thing. So it's just, it just was luck. It's a lot of luck, really.
0: Fantastic. Fantastic. I love that. Wow. Steve, thank you. Um, it's
1: been an education, Tim. I'll tell you, they, they taught me more about business than I ever learned anywhere else. Really incredible.
0: So, so then that would be what you advise then is around the networking is around getting out and learning from people that have done what you want to do where you want to go, going and spending time and and behaving and adopting. Was that what then transcended your beliefs? You you started picking up what they were saying and putting it into action. You started seeing things in a different way, almost pulled the curtain back for you.
1: Yeah, I mean, I you know I want I went to study psychology and mental toughness, and I was working with athletes, you know, back in the day, some of the you know biggest athletes, at least in the U.S. and some of the world actually, mm-hmm. and some really on the psychology side, it wasn't very big back then, and I just termed it mental toughness, coined sort of not coined the phrase, but just I used that 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 phrase, mental toughness or that label. And then someone came up to me. I was, I was doing some work with Olympic athletes and working with people like Andre Agassi, the great tennis player and some other people. And that this is year, this is 1989, 1988. And, um, and someone came up to me and said, you know, you got some really good ideas here. They're, they're kind of cutting edge. You have some success. I wasn't making a lot of money at all, but I was, I was making a living, but that's about it. And they said, you ought to be a speaker. You ought to get in front of a microphone and go talk to, talk to people all over about this. You could take this all around the world. And so this is an example of, of you know, I think of a, of a lesson I learned from the self-made millionaire. So I thought, that sounds like a pretty good idea. I wasn't that nuts about public speaking, but I wasn't crazy about that. I was kind of afraid of it. But um, I thought, well, I could learn probably to overcome that. So then I, I started seeking mentors out. And I found this gentleman in Florida named Bill Gove. And they said, this is the 85-year-old king. The, they called him the father of professional speaking. This is the guy that almost started the industry. He taught every major speaker. And that people told me about this. This guy, he said he runs a workshop. So I said, I'm going to his workshop. So I went to his workshop four times in a year, over a period of a year. And (laughs) I got to know him and he was, and I had no money. I borrowed all the money. I wrote credit card checks back then for, I didn't have the money at all. And, um, and he, uh, he, he finally, I got to be friends with them and I, I put a business proposal together. And lucky for me, he wanted to get back on stage. He said, look, if you'll get me back on stage at 85 years old, I'll teach you every single thing I know about this business. And I'll introduce you to everyone you ever wanted to know. Cause I've taught almost all of them. And then all, the, and I, and I you know, said, Hey, where do I sign? Right. And he and that was just a luck, but that and you know, over the five years that he was alive, we did five years until the day he died. He introduced me to the best speakers in the world, the biggest, the biggest people in the world that did this. And he mentored me and walked me along a path. And within five years before he died, I was in the top one percent of professional speakers, income-wise, in the world, and people said, "Well, how do you do it so fast?" I had a mentor. All I had to do was follow what the man told me to do. The crazy thing, Tim, is that all these people that were around him in the state of Florida and in the speakers groups knew him for years and never asked him, never asked them, asked him to mentor them. I, I to this day, I have no idea why the guy knows all these things. He's forgotten more about this business than most of us will ever know. And he's sitting there right there and and they just don't ask. And so when people said, how did you do it so fast? I had a mentor, you know, it's not my, I don't take any credit for it. I followed what the man told me to do. He knew what he was doing. I followed him. He introduced me to the right people. I followed them. And, you know, then all of a sudden I had the success I wanted. So in every business we've ever had that succeeded like that, we had a mentor. So if there's one thing I'd say for people to do, find a mentor, a world-class mentor. You might be surprised that you can get their ear because almost no one's going to do what they tell them to do for some reason. I don't know why.
0: And they could be sitting right in front of a group of people, but they're not going to go and ask for help. They're not going to go ask for that mentorship. They're not. To, but you come along, you spot the opportunity, you're like, well, I walk up to him and ask him, and then I do what he says, and then we go for it.
1: Yeah, it's almost like, I don't know if this is a, a saying in Singapore, but in the States, there's a saying called, they, uh, it's, I don't know it's a saying or whatever, but it's called, we call it pretty girl syndrome. And pretty girl syndrome is the best looking girl in the in the, in the town or the school or whatever it is, is sitting home on Friday and Saturday night because no one's asking her out. And mm-hmm. people say, well, how could she, she's beautiful. My God, she's a model. How could people not ask her out? Well, for whatever reason, they're afraid or whatever it is. So she she's not getting any invitations. These mentors, these world-class mentors they're either not getting invitations or they get invitations and the people don't do what they tell them to do because you have to jump right. through some hoops. Sometimes uh, they get frustrated with that because people, you know, they want to get this the mentor, but they want to do what the mentor tells them, you know, um, or some, some version of that. But if you find a mentor and you do what they tell you to do, it's, I mean, how do you miss? It's impossible because they've already done it, you know, or you can, or you can, uh, you know, another phrase that Brian Tracy, bringing up Brian Tracy again, uh, Brian told me one time, he said, look, you can, you can learn all this on your own, but it'll take you 300 years to do it. You might as well get a mentor, do what they tell you to do and succeed fast. And I think that's a pretty good formula for, for success. I think he's right.
0: Wow. Yes. That's fantastic. Phenomenal. And, and so what are you into now, Steve? What's, what are you focused on and what's your mission right now? Having come on that journey.
1: Well, I'm glad you mentioned it because I have a shameless plug right here. It just happened to be right here. <laughs> <laughs> like, works, stop being So this is a, a book we've had out and it's a, it was a number one finance book in the selling finance book in the States last year. I read it with a gentleman named Tom Matthews who's a great Wall Street veteran. And so what we're trying to do in a nutshell is we're, 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 we've assembled a team around the country, around the US and Canada uh, to teach people the basics of personal finance. And uh, so just the basic things that they have to know. And so not not so they don't get ripped off uh, by the financial institutions and those kinds of things. So we're going into companies. We're going into churches. We're going wherever people are and we're teaching these classes. And we have these teachers, all of this big army of teachers around the country in Canada and the U.S. and Canada. And uh, yeah, so we're trying to trying to give back and trying to at least reduce, substantially reduce financial illiteracy, you know, in this country, at least in Canada. And uh, because it's such a big thing, people struggle with money and they don't really have to. Even if they don't make that much money, if they know how to handle it and they know how it works, um, it's a different ballgame. So that's our new thing. But last year, year or two,
0: man, so you're, you're still changing lives, Steve. You're still going out there. You're still moving the needle.
1: <laughs> trying to, trying to, Tim. We're trying to do what we can. You know, we're having fun doing it too. It's a lot of fun.
0: That's the best. That's the best. Oh, brilliant! Yeah. Well, I know you're a very busy man, and I know this has been super valuable. I can't tell you how many things I've just got. My, my brain is buzzing with all of the things you just shared. One last question then. If if you are obviously a, a mental toughness coach, you go into work with a lot of clients like j GSK, you've got really big clients that you've been working with. You go in and you train those big sales teams. What is the one thing that you keep telling these sales teams to do, but they don't do, that you constantly keep seeing come up as a, a thing that someone would, would hear from you? And and yet again, it they just need to be told. They need to be told because it's so important.
1: Yeah, that's a great question. It the, the, the one thing more than anything else, it's a hard lesson for anyone, any emotional creature, is to is it's the first chapter in the 177 book I wrote. And that's the only chapter I, I made sure it was number one. I, all the other chapters people ask all the time at book signings. They'll say, Well, you know, did you put the 177 chapters of which in order, or how was it? No, I just wanted number one to be number one because to your the point of your question, um, this is the number one thing I think that most of us miss, objective reality, operating in objective reality, seeing yourself as you are, not the way you wish you were, um, when you're analyzing your performance, whether it's sales, which is, you know, what I do with the companies, I work with the sales teams, or an entrepreneur trying to build a business, you know, like I know, for example, out of objective reality in 30 years, um, I'm not good with paperwork. I'm not good with organization. I'm not good almost with anything for that matter. I mean, my God, I'm almost, I'm, I'm damn near worthless. It's, it's and most, most scale. Most people probably say I'm, I'm almost worthless as an entrepreneur, except um, a couple of things, a couple of major things. You know, I'm able, I can sell, I can structure deals and that kind of thing, but I'm almost worthless at everything else. Objectively, I know that based on my, my track record in those areas. So I've hired those things out. You know, because I'm just never. It's just going to take me too much time to get good at them, and I'm probably never going to be that good at them. So I just focus on the one or two things that I'm actually competent in, and and I let everything else go, or I hire it out. You know, more accurately, I hire it out. So, but it's but I think it's tough for all of us to 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 recognize that and come to terms with the fact that you know that we're not good at certain things. But if you don't look at a thing your performance or your business or your career objectively from objective reality, not fantasy or delusion. I think that's the problem. I, I love to delude myself into believing I'm smarter than I am, but my track record doesn't really show it. If I look at my success, I mean, this is just a job, I'm not being falsely modest. I mean, this is really what I see after 30 plus years of, of evidence in my own business. I look at it and say, if, if I was so smart, I wouldn't have needed all these mentors most likely, but the times I've really had good success in the businesses over the years have been times I've mentored. I've had mentors and I've followed the mentors. So I'm good at following I'm tenacious, I'll work hard and all those things. But if I have to make up the path to success as I go, I'm not that good at it. I'm not smart enough to do it because if I if I was, I probably would have done it. That's okay. As long as I know that, I know I need mentorship. I've got to have it if I want to go into a business, especially if it's a new business. So I know that about myself. So I don't beat my myself up saying, hey, you know, I wish I were smarter, too bad, all that. No, just get a mentor. So I think it's hard, it's a hard lesson to learn. But once you get it, you see yourself the way you are, as opposed to the way you wish you were. Of course, you can always get better, but um, but but I I believe in what um, Tom Rath wrote wrote in StrengthsFinder for the Gallup organization. We worked with them years ago, and he said, you know, StrengthsFinder just means focus on your strengths and hire your weaknesses out as a business person. Or you're going to get better at your weaknesses, but you're never probably going to be great. But your strengths, you can get really, really good at. So I've I've kind of followed that model, but I think that's the one big thing to your question that that's hard to, for people to accept because I think we all, our self-esteem might be, Mm -hmm. might require that we feel we convince ourselves that we're better at these things than we really are. And, uh, and some people of course are great at a lot of things, but (laughs) I'm not, I'm not that person, but, but it's okay. You can, you can, you can hire those things out. You can work your way around your weaknesses and then you focus like wrath says, focus on your strengths and then you become very dangerous because you're not living in a fantasy you're not operating from a fantasy you're in the real world you know who you are what you're good at what you're not good at and you're moving forward like a you know steaming locomotive going down the track
0: beautiful steve thank you that is so impressive thank you so much it's been a dream come true to talk to you i'm over the moon like everybody on the on listening right now needs to go out and get into your stuff if you're someone that's starting the journey into self-help into mental toughness these books 177 secrets mental toughness and how rich people think as well as how money works secrets of self-made millionaires is also a really good one for the kids right that's uh, a shameless plug yeah so i'm I'm reading that to my boys uh boys now the
1: shameless plug Tim. you know i mean
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's great it's great you do a page a night and um work through that with with your kids and you start them early so that's what we're doing but Steve, I I really appreciate it. Uh, So much gratitude for you coming on the show and and sharing your message with with the audience. And also just speaking so candidly about, about the questions that I had and really sharing those answers with us. So thank you.
1: I appreciate the invite, Tim. I appreciate all the kind words as well. It's my pleasure.